gloomy, mostly Euclidean confines of Castle Gormagon, upon the lofty, wind-blasted heights of the Plateau of Lang, I am Confucius the Ecumenical Volgi, and this is Radio Gormagon. Welcome to the third season of Radio Gormagon. After a brief hiatus, we're back, and we have a number of podcasts that I think will inform and entertain our followers. Please share it with your friends and family. The format, if you are new to this segment, is we polled our Twitter followers for what questions they had for your Gormagons. Then, one or more of the Gormagons answered the questions, and we pieced together the responses. We hope you enjoy our quirkiness. And now, on to the show. Thanks for that intro, Gort. It looks like I get to lead off uh, the very first question of the day, which is from uh, Melissa Bronstein. She's the kind of girl who puts life in a party. Yeah, she does. Anyway, she asks, why did you all decide to tweet from the same account? Um, Well, for this, we have to go back to the very earliest days of Twitter. The year was 2000-something or whatever, and Twitter was a fairly new concept. I think we were like the fourth or fifth uh, group to actually get an account. At the time, it was just called Twit. Uh, I think it was maybe 1.0 or even 0.95B. But uh, one of us, I think it was Volgi, could have been Gort, signed us up for an account on uh, the Big T. And um, we didn't really quite know how it worked. So we figured rather than try to get six of us to command millions and millions of followers, we would be much more effective as a single unified voice that squabbled constantly over every little thing all the time. So uh, really it's just a way to bring a large group of followers together to a a single account as opposed to us uh, dividing and conquering ourselves by trying to maintain separate accounts. Hey, you know, if it wasn't for the group account, Mandy would probably never even uh, tweet. Well, for me personally, I can't remember the password, so I just use someone else's. Oh, Mrs. Bronstein. Or is that Bronstein? <laughs> we collectively have been blogging together for years, not technically since August 1970, and we were seeing a growing demand signal on Twitter. I think the Volgi created the Twitter account and then Pewter took off with it. Several of us tried to keep up. The Czar's answer addresses it best, The draw of the six of us across all of our followers is probably more appealing than each of us individually. I'm sure two-thirds of our followers see our timeline and ask what the is going on there. But that's a rotating two-thirds, depending on the topic. Um, The reason that we decided to tweet from the same account is because, well, I'm poor. So I had to piggyback off other guys because everybody else has money. Um, Czar didn't know that I was sharing sharing his account at first. Um, when he found out about it, he got mad and yelled at me, and then I was sad. So that's how we ended up getting all on one account. It was because we were poor. Melissa, the decision was made by the other Gormagons to have a shared account. I'm just along for the ride. 
This question comes from our friends at the Snakes and Otters podcast. They'd like to know, what's some advice for gaining audience for our own world-dominating podcast? Well, that's a great question. What I'm not going to answer. Why would I give you any advice to take away from our own audience? That's ludicrous. Figure out your own ideas. What is he think this is a free advice column? Jesus Christ, some people. The next question is from Farmer Ted, who says, Also, when are we all going to the range? Well, I'm assuming he doesn't mean the, the one in the kitchen, so uh, probably the firing range. Uh, you'll find myself there pretty often. Uh, the Mandarin, I think, is uh, gets out to the uh, firing line about as often as I do. Uh, I'll do more archery than he does, but uh, we're, we're both pretty uh, happy to bring out firearms. Uh, in fact, he's got a, uh, uh, a pretty nice piece of hardware that... Uh, is a little bit too big for me, but probably not too big for everyone. Nana can take care of it. Yeah, thanks, Nana. You bet you can. Well, there you have it. The next question is uh, from Hateful Conduct, who asks, What is the airspeed velocity of an unladen swallow? What a waste of a good question, uh, because uh, according to Jonathan Corum of Style.org, the uh, average speed of either a uh, European or an African swallow is approximately 11 meters per second or 24 miles per hour. Go to style.org, uh, look up unladen swallow, and he's got all the physics behind it for you. Uh, let's hope this puts this one to bed. Why is GP such a weirdo? Well, I guess it's genetics. I can only blame my parents. That and the steady beating, you know, steady, steady set of beatings that Mo gave me with the car antenna back in my youth. The copious amounts of alcohol I imbibe daily. Probably the polonium experiments that that bull guy likes to run. There's there's a lot of reasons. Oh, and then there's of course there's the the magnetic field that Gort gives off. You know, when he hops back and forth through time, and the cabbage, the lentils, you know the the intestines that I got going. There's a, there's a lot of reasons I'm a weirdo. I don't know really why, but that's probably a good place to start looking. Alex, the whiskey-loving Asian ghost, asks, Why is GP such a weirdo? Wow, a bit harsh, Alex. Pewter isn't a weirdo, or maybe we're all weirdos. Pewter has his own view of the world, and it's unique, insightful, intelligent. Well, mostly intelligent. Each of us has our own nuances, experience, and interests that create the uniqueness, I would argue, to our collective. The Maximum Leader asks, how do you all feel about the Oxford comma? Well, okay, there's a couple of things here. First of all, when you say, how do you all feel, I'm assuming you're talking about us as a group. Uh, I think we are fairly unanimous in this. Uh, I don't think each of us has a, an, or any of us has an opinion that varies. Uh, and what do we mean by the Oxford comma? Because that's a very misleading grammatical term. It's not even technically a grammatical term, but refers to a manual of style, which uh, Oxford University first called attention to it a long time ago. Um, the better phrase is the serial comma. And uh, an interesting thing about using Oxford comma is that Oxford merely called attention to it. Putting it in is not the Oxford comma. Taking it out is not the Oxford comma. The Oxford comma is more like the Oxford comma problem. Uh, so what is a serial comma? A serial comma is when you put in a comma between a group of words, uh, but omitting it can change the meaning of it. There are some old copy editors that like to remove uh, the comma where it doesn't make sense to have it in or it's unnecessary. I agree with that. There are some copybook editors that insist you put it in to avoid confusion. Let me give you an example. 
If I were to say, I went drinking with my friends, comma, Pewter and Gort, that would tell the reader that uh, I went drinking with Pewter and Gort, who are my friends, and indeed they are. If I were to say, I went drinking with my friends, comma, Pewter, comma, and Gort, uh, that would imply there's five people there, myself, at least two of my friends, Pewter and Gort, who are not my friends. That's not the case either. Um, so be very careful when writing, uh, because if you put that comma in there, you can change the meaning of the sentence. Some folks, if it's superfluous, will take it out, uh, which can change the meaning of the sentence opposite or very different from how the uh, author wanted it written. So there's my uh, quick, I don't know, two-minute take on uh, the serial comma. Dr. J is a huge fan of the Oxford comma. The reason is pretty obvious. Uh, there are plenty of examples on the internet uh, that are quite humorous, such as, for example, when you have the Oxford comma, after beating the Steelers, comma, Tim Tebow thanked his parents, comma, God, comma, and Miss Trunchbull, period. That's his way of saying thanks, everyone. Without the Oxford comma, after beating the Steelers, comma, Tim Tebow thanked his parents, comma, God and Mrs. Trunchbull, period. In that case, he is thanking God and Mrs. Trunchbull, who are his parents. So to me, there's a big difference about whether or not to use the Oxford comma, and I invariably use it. Well, this is another question from Maximum Leader, who asks, brown liquor or clear? Here it is at last, the night of the party that everyone's been looking forward to for weeks. Oh, yeah. But, uh, okay, so I can definitely say not clear. Um, not a gin drinker myself, not a uh, vodka drinker, except uh, on occasion, if it's a nice fancy dress kind of thing, I might have a vodka tonic. Uh, but generally, it's, it's going to be uh, brown liquor. I do probably equal amounts of wine and beer, sometimes in the same evening, sometimes in the same glass. Doc, your take? Dr. J likes brown liquor and clear liquor equally. How do you choose between your two favorite children? Seriously. Uh, as far as brown liquor goes, Dr. J's go-tos are Greenbrier Tennessee Whiskey and Bellmead Bourbon, uh, both by uh, the Nelson Brothers Distillery. Uh, they make outstanding stuff, and Dr. J has also been drinking a bit of gin lately, mostly to help with the insanity, bringing on the insanity, not getting rid of it. Will Servitor asks, if you were a Super Sentai team, what colors would each of the Gormagons be? The Gormagons as a Super Sentai team would be fascinating. What colors we would be? Hmm. Dr. J would suspect that we would have a somewhat symmetrical approach. The Volgi and Mandarin would embrace red and gold and can fight over whichever color would be the main color for each of them. The Tsar would definitely be in black. I would definitely be in black. Pewter would be in institution orange and Gort would be in brushed titanium. So those two would be in the middle and the other four of us would make up the limbs. Okay, I only have an assumption of what you mean by a Super Sentai team. 
probably one of those weird Japanese mashup teams, right? I was barely into Voltron as a kid, so I'm treading on unfamiliar territory here. I think Volgi would be black, a color I frequently associate with him since high school. How much more black could this be? And the answer is none, none. Doc would be that pasty kind of hospital scrubs green color, obviously. Initially, I'd put Mandarin as red, but with all of Czar's rage and bloodshed, I'm going to give the Czar that color. That would probably mean Mandy gets gold. Doc is probably right in his answer that I should be polished titanium, but since I'm answering the question, I'll pick forest green. I like that color. And then we have Pewter. I'm giving Pewter pink. He could be the pink Power Ranger. Well, I can't speak for the rest of the guys, but clearly I am the pink ranger because I love boobs. Really? No one else wants to take this one? Okay, well, Schultze wants to know, what's the difference between irony and sarcasm? <laughs> like, we don't know what sarcasm is. Well, we know what sarcasm is, but sarcasm is a form of irony. It's a very small, abbreviated, probably the quickest form of irony there is, whereas irony is an unexpected reversal of an anticipated outcome uh, which may or may not be humorous. You can have very, very serious, dreadful irony, um, and you can also have very funny irony, as uh, anyone who reads our site will know. Schultze, first of all, cabbage is good when done right. And Peter has a penchant for, shall we say, cleansing foods. True story. I did once witness Pewter drink cabbage water. And by that, I mean he drank the water that the cabbage was stewed in from the pot directly from the pot. I don't think it was a good time for him later that night. Schultze. Pewter eats cabbage because one, it's delicious, and two, you're never too young to start taking care of your colon. Well, it's a pretty easy story. I mean, it's as, as one might expect. I grew up on a cabbage farm. I, my, fam my family were sharecroppers from way back. You know, and We lived in, in Maryland, in Montgomery County, and we had the only working cabbage farm, about 500 acres of cabbage fields, as far as the eye could see. And I remember when I was a child, waiting all year for the great cabbage roundup when the cowboys would come in, actually I guess they were cabbage boys, and they would ride their miniature ponies and herd all the cabbage into the shed and directly into the shredder where it would be horribly shredded and thrown into vats to ferment over the winter. We made kimchi, we made sauerkraut, we made all kinds of pickled cabbage dishes. And that's pretty much what we lived on. So, as you might expect, quite simple answer to that question. Jeez, I can't even believe you asked it, Schultze. Confitior Deo asks, how often do all of the gormos convene in person? Are wormholes involved? How much alcohol in our blood is consumed at these convocations? Um, you know, that's a really good question. Uh, um, I'll tell you the truth is I don't think we have ever all met in person at the same place at the same time. So wormholes are definitely not involved. Um, blood, I think there may have been blood on occasion. There's generally a large amount of alcohol consumed. Uh, I think, uh, four of us are pretty good drinkers. Uh, one of us is a fairly moderate drinker and one of us drinks very, very little. I'll let you guess who all those people are. I am not in the latter two categories. I'm very much solidly planted in the first category. I'll pass this one off to Gorty, who will uh, talk a little bit more about uh, how often we actually do get involved. We have never all convened in person. We've had many Gormaganacons in the past, but those were all virtual. See the pics on our blog. We came pretty close this past summer when five of us were in Chicago together, and sadly, only missing Doc. It was a great time. 
Plenty of beer, some wine, German oompa music at deafening levels, and some solid German food was involved. Quantifying the amounts of alcohol would be difficult. Vogue was a particular fan of the blaring music, however, and we all blame the czar. Suck it, czar. Well, we've never actually all been in the same place at the same time. We do have get-togethers from time to time. In fact, I've never met Doc. Um, I guess the most recent time several of us got together was for three of our 50th birthdays, and we went to Chicago for the weekend with our spouses and had a nice time. And I think it was even on that same trip that we all got to, there were five of us in the same room at the same time. There was an Alpenhorn involved. There were Dirndls and later Hosen and a really loud Oompa Loompa band or whatever, Oompapa, Polka, whatever the hell. It was fun, but I think Mrs. The Czar hates us. Well, Confetti Ordeo, I have met Gort in person once. The Czar and Bulgy and Mandy once in Chicago and then again on a second trip to Chicago, the little med student and I were guests of the Tsar at the Dhaka. So I have gathered with the other Gormos three times. And at each time there has been enough alcohol to be enjoyable, but not so much that I was not able to drive afterwards. And uh, Southwest Airlines to Chicago or DC was the uh, mode of travel each time. Confiti Ordeo asks, is there a ladies auxiliary to the Gormos? Uh, no, there isn't. Uh, to be fair, a number of the wives joined us at the in-person Omas Gormaganacon last summer. I'm not sure about the other Gormos, but I suspect many will have the same opinion as Mrs. Gort. You guys have fun doing your silly little blog thing. You don't get it, honey. We're on course for world domination. Why is Pewter so pervy? Well, I guess my initial response is to say, why not? And really, it's just fun. And anyway, it's harmlessly pervy. Can we just get that right? Harmlessly pervy, with an emphasis on the harmlessly part of it. So, yeah, I'm pervy. I mean, I like boobs. Who doesn't? I just say it. I guess a lot of other people don't say it. You know, I just think I'm a normal, run-of-the-mill, middle-aged, fat, hairy bald dad got dad bod guy who likes boobs i enjoy the finer things in life i'm not going to apologize for being harmlessly pervy quit shaming me schultzy it's harmless so not really pervy per se um but if i had to guess probably because we were relatively good through high school and now he has the breadth of the internet at his fingertips at least while he doesn't break his computer Dan asks, Zappa never told us, who are the brain police? Better yet, any suggested reading to get past stage four? Wow, going deep in the archive for this, Dan. I don't know the brain police, only the dream police. Neither as good as the police. Policing brains or dreams isn't good, so I'd probably be against any of these police. Maybe like a brain resistance or dream resistance. To get past stage four, you must follow the white rabbit. Or maybe it's up, up, right, down, right, up, left, left. Who are the brain police? Well, if we told you, then they wouldn't be the brain police anymore, would they? 
and actually they're just a little subsidiary unit that that Volgi runs out of the back of his truck. It's usually just hires a bunch of Mexicans down at the parking lot at the Home Depot and hires them to go around hitting people over the head with sticks all day, and he calls it the brain police. But we let him get away with it. It's it's how we deal with this crazy. Hi, I'm Gary, the owner of the best and only dog boarding house on the plateau of Lang, Menopause. Menopause offers boarding and daycare for man's best friend. We also offer a dog bath, grooming, pedicures, and all the pampering your dog needs because there are no bad dogs. Out Every Halloween, we have the world's only haunted house for dogs. Ouch. So if you've got a little Bichon all the way up to a Newfie, get in. You need menopause. We're at Flegel in Westmoreland, across from the liquor locker. Oh, my God. This question comes from Cotton Jen. She'd like to know, can you tell if someone is a liberal just by looking at them? Well, you know, that's a very good question. It depends where you look. And again, where you look, you might get yourself slapped in the face. So be careful. But, you know, usually you can tell. But, again, how you tell, I won't tell. Uh, a couple of us are going to take a shot at answering this question, but I wanted to give you this quick little educational film. We know that once a person is perverted, it is practically impossible for that person to adjust to normal attitudes. Abnormal sex, crime, and violence. Now, you might ask yourself, why this sudden concern? High-speed presses, rapid transportation, mass distribution, all have combined to put the vilest obscenity within reach of every man, woman, and child in the country. This moral decay weakens our resistance to the onslaught of the communist masters of deceit. Well, that's pretty powerful stuff, so... Uh, Doc, why don't you walk us through a few ways that you can easily spot liberals? Jen, I can tell if someone's a liberal just by looking at their automobile. If it's a Prius with a bunch of woke bumper stickers, they're a liberal. Good Fitior Deo asks, why is Doc so familiar with Greece too? And what remediation or psychiatric care has been provided? Who knows? Doc is the youngest of the Gormos, so maybe he missed out on the original and was left with the trash that Michelle Pfeiffer and TJ Hooker star Maxwell Caulfield gave us. Maybe he's a huge TJ Hooker fan and wanted to see what else Max Caulfield did career-wise. Hint, Bachelor Party with Tom Hanks, a movie I'm sure both of them are happy about. That is an excellent question, Deo. When I was growing up in Philadelphia, there was a cable station called Prism, and Prism was basically local HBO with sports. So that was the cable pay station we had for movies. And unfortunately, Grease 2 was in heavy rotation. I watched it when it first made it to cable, and it was so dreadful that it scarred me in the same way that reading the Necronomicon has scarred many a student at Miskatonic University. The horror, the horror did not even begin to address it. So large amounts of brown liquor and large amounts of white liquor have been the mainstay uh, in order to keep me from having those ugly thoughts resurface. Occasionally, something on Twitter triggers me and I have to share my pain of Greece too with everybody. Delightfully named Ben Rondeau asks, how does one become a gormagon anyway? Well, technically, we could all answer this question. Um, 
But in my case, it goes back, oh, many, many years now. I was just a young Zarling wandering the uh, fields near, uh, I think it was Central Asia, when uh, the Volgi comes up to me and says, Hey, and I said, uh, hey, what's up? And he's like, uh, so um, I got this thing going. And uh, we kind of need an autocrat because in terms of the grand personality matrix that I'm working out for the next several thousand years, uh, we need somebody like that. And I said, uh, okay, well, who you got in mind? He's like, well, yeah, I was thinking you. And I said, uh, okay, um, what's it pay? And he just laughed for a moment. And I realized, oh, okay, stupid question, got it. Um, and uh, that's pretty much the next thing I remember. Um, uh, at least, well, you know, Gorty actually goes back even further than I do, so maybe he's got more background information. Well, there's the Lord of Ring answer that one does not simply become a Gormagon, which is a pretty accurate way to start. Historically speaking, the original Gormagons, the OGs, are Volgi, Pewter, and myself. We quickly added the Tsar and Mandarin, and then after some scrutiny and internal discussions, we added Doc. I think we're chugging along pretty well at a steady state size, and I doubt we'll ever change the dynamics since we really enjoy it. Well, I don't know about the rest of the guys, but for me, it was pretty easy. I just showed up one day in the castle, moved in, with you know, brought Sleestack in, and the rest is history. And now i got my rumpus room down in the basement, and sometimes they let me out so I can see the sun. Then I get frightened of the ball of light in the sky and I scream and I run back to my rumpus room because I'm terrified of the sun. So it's pretty easy to become a gormagon. You just have to find the castle on the plateau of Lang as it hops through 32 dimensions of space and time. And, you know, if you miss, you're kind of screwed. I mean, your body's rented, your corporeal body at least is rent apart and your soul is devoured by evil demons. But, you know, if you can get to the castle, it's pretty easy. Dr. J was invited to be at Gormagon after writing so many letters to the blog that the other Gormagons got sick of posting them themselves and gave me privileges just to have me do it and make their lives easier. Gingy asks, how did that happen? Referring to the fact that some of our regular ladies on Twitter didn't submit a question for Ask the Gormos. I have to admit I'm a little surprised that Gracie, Neva, Dorothy, Mo, Jen, and the rest didn't submit a question. Maybe it got lost on Twitter. Maybe we answer all their questions on Twitter. Maybe we'll just make up questions from them. Why does Neva like the Hardy Boys so much? Why is there a shortage of butter in Mo's greater Chicagoland area? Who, besides Gracie, puts ketchup on their steak? Who doesn't put ketchup on their steak? When is Dorothy going to kill Dr. Smith? Gingy says she doesn't trust us and that this Q&A with the Gormagons is going to be all about the Greek alphabet. I don't even know what an alphabet is, and Greek sounds like some sort of gay thing. So I, I, don't, even, I don't even want to talk about this anymore. I'm a little disturbed by Gingy's weird Canadianness. Hey, here's a question from Gingy, which is, I don't trust you. It'll just be about the Greek alphabet. Okay, well, that's not a question, Gingy. Questions have the little question mark at the end and usually end with a little rising intonation to indicate it's a question. Uh, but you're probably referring to uh, 
a previous podcast I've done where I attempted unsuccessfully to teach you fools the uh, the Greek alphabet. Not one iota of it. Get it? Uh, actually proved to be useful. What? No, I'm, I'm answering questions. If you wanted to ask a question, you should have submitted it to Gorty through Twitter like he asked you to. Like weeks ago. Don't shake your head. It was weeks ago. Go on. Get out. Get out. Go. Sorry about that. Um, I don't know. Um, somebody else can try uh, answering this question. From the website orabesh.org. Orabesh is the galactic version of the alphabet. Like the alphabet alpha plus beta in Greek, the name Arabesh, Arak plus Besh, is a combination of the first two letters. Orabesh was a writing system used to translate Galactic Basic, one of the most used languages in the galaxy, according to the Wikipedia. Galactic Basic is the in-universe name for what we call the English language. So why learn Orabesh? Orabesh is used throughout the movies and can be seen on displays, holographic advertisements, uniforms, helmets, and more, and is present in a lot of extended English material. Being able to read Orabesh allows you to immerse yourself even more in the galaxy. It's not hard to learn. Is GP ha- as happy as a puppy with two Peters? Well, assuming Peters means Wang, which I'm pretty sure it does, yeah, I guess I'm a pretty happy guy most of the time. You know, it's I, I'm not as happy as a deer with two Wangs like that clown David Edward from Twitter. You know, he's got a buddy who actually shot a deer with two Wangs and got, you know, interviewed by the local UP television station. It's kind of a celebrity in the UP, you know, when you find a deer with two wangs. I think it's probably had two wangs because it was banging its cousin like everybody else in the UP, but what do I know? So yeah, I guess I'm as happy as a puppy with two wangs, but not as happy as a deer with two wangs. Pewter is a puppy with two Peters. They're just tiny and Irish. The Annoyed Man asks, does the Gormagon Collective have any intention of running for POTUS, kind of like six raccoons in an overcoat? If you do, I'll not only vote for you, but I'll volunteer for your campaign. Couldn't be any worse than the usual pack of bozos who run. Uh, question: Why am I the only one reading all the questions here? Why don't one of you guys jump in here? Anyway. Czar, I already repeated the question. Relax. Go back to torturing Dat Ho. I can just tell you from the projects that I'm working on right now is that, no, we have no intention of running for the presidency of the United States because that would be a very visible position, and uh, the big G tends to work behind the scenes. So uh, we're the ones kind of pulling the strings and getting in each other's way and doing all sorts of nastiness that, uh, um, you know, I think somebody else better answer this question. We're too busy with our efforts on world domination to worry about running for POTUS. Plus, POTUS, at some point, will just be a puppet in our domination. How can we find out more? Dr. J has no intention of running for president of the United States. He has too many skeletons in his closet and far too many libertarian leanings to be able to be a success at that job. That being said, he is offering his services to be the next Surgeon General, or head of HHS. Kurt asks us, where does the white go when the snow melts? Well, for this, we're going to have to go to science. 
That's right. Uh, what we perceive to be snow is actually a form of radioactive ash that falls out of the sky, or what scientists term fallout, um, and it is radiating most of its energy away as an alpha wave state, uh, which results in beta decay, uh, thereby taking the white with it because it eventually uh, radiates its uh, color signature away through obvious spectroscopy that's detailed enough that even the human eye is able to detect it. Kurt writes in, where does the white go when the snow melts? It goes on the rice. All right, back to me, I guess. Uh, Lawyer Dog wants to know, what are the topics of greatest disagreement among the Gormagons, excluding purely internal matters such as whose cooking is worst? Uh, well, actually, uh, I, I would disagree with that. I think all of us are, are very, very uh, accomplished cooks. Um, uh, not a cook for me so much, but uh, grilling and smoking and barbecuing. Um, and I think all six of us, Mandarin is an especially good cook. Uh, so is uh, Pewter is just uh, amazing. Um just generally. Okay, uh, topics of disagreement, sorry. Uh, well, I think the biggest one, and it's more playful than anything, although uh, I guess it depends what side of the argument you're on and whether you're winning, uh, baseball versus soccer is a big one. I think we might even uh, consider doing a podcast this year on, on just how awful that is. Um, other than that, not too much, I think. I know that we've had to repeatedly correct Pewter on a number of things, but other than that, I don't know that there's any real strong disagreements between us. What do you, what do you guys think? I guess first and foremost, I mean, the guys tend to disagree about how much I really suck. Is it like suck a whole lot or suck infinity? So that's you know sort of a, always a bone of contention. You know, I, I like you know I like to argue that I only just suck a lot. Um, other issues we disagree on. I'd have to say movies, music. You know, I, there's there's not really much disagreement among us. I mean, politically, we're all pretty much on the same page. We're you know, big Second Right, Second Amendment supporters. We're First Amendment right supporters. We're pretty much just supporters of the Constitution as written and should be enforced as written. Um, that's pretty much it. We don't agree, disagree about a whole lot. So we get along. The castle's still standing, if you can find it. We really agree on a lot of broad topics and probably have nuanced differences when you drill in on those. For example, while all of us believe in limited federal government, Pewter advocates that the country should minimize the presence of each federal department in D.C. and distribute them across the U.S. I would caution that the logistics for accomplishing that would be a huge drag on the federal budget. I'd agree that anything new should consider this plan. While you said excluding cooking issues, I think we have some minor differences in approaching the grilling techniques, although most follow some pretty standard and correct techniques. The one other area that might be an area of contention could be around data privacy and personal data usage by large tech companies like Facebook, Amazon, Microsoft, etc. That actually might be worthy of a future podcast episode. This question comes from Kurt. It's a very serious question. Kurt asks, the deep state has shown itself to be very real, very well protected, and self-sustaining. He'd like to know, can we, should we, as a nation, seek to drain this particular area what most people call the swamp, and if so, how do we do it? That's a very serious question, and it takes a very serious answer. The problem with the deep state is it really is the government. Most people think that their government are their elected officials, you know, who we vote for every four years. 
But in reality, it's really become that bureaucratic class, that permanent ruling class, someone might call them. They're there for 30, 40 years, get a nice pension after they're done. But they're the ones that really are the in, day-to-day, in-and-out operators of, of the government and the nation. And with that comes a sense of probably entitlement that they run the show. And in some respects, I think you're seeing that through the whole impeachment process, the what some call the coup attempt on the part of the deep state, seeing as how they believe in some respects Trump's coming in and, like you said, drain the swamp. That's a real in, impact on their power and their, and their influence base. Yeah, I could see why they want to push back. How do you drain that? It's it's difficult. You can't overnight take the bureaucracy and, and you know, eliminate it. You know, I think we've seen some of the power diminished in the sense that Trump's come in and eliminated a lot of the regulations that are imposed by these organizations. But again, it, that's a start. But to eliminate the entire bureaucracy and start from scratch is probably an impossible task. I think the best we can do is hopefully hold our ground and have a president, who, whether it's Trump going forward or anyone after him, willing to push back against that deep state, against the regulatory state, and make it more, you know, the environment more applicable for businesses to do business and for people to live their lives without having overbearing, you know, government bureaucracy trying to oversee and regulate every aspect of their lives. Kurt, that is a fantastic question. And yes, we should get rid of the deep state by any by any way legally possible. I think really the, the ultimate answer is to elect politicians who are going to only be there for a short period of time and are motivated to make the government smaller by hook or by crook. Um, generally these people are more libertarian leaning, they do not get a lot of traction, um, but if we vote for enough people that want a smaller government, then that would be the way to go. The big trick is to convince people to vote for people who want less government because all politicians offer is free stuff that is uh, paid for by other taxpayers. Uh, Elizabeth Warren, for example, is offering free tuition relief for college students. Meanwhile, I've saved up a ton of money for my kids for college with the intention of paying for their college. Uh, and so I don't want to pay for other people's kids' college. That's their job. Um, um, I guess there's got to be one serious person in the whole, the whole group who asks questions. So I would say that the best way to do that, meaning getting rid of the deep state, would be... Uh, getting rid of civil service laws in the government and banning public sector unions and making all jobs at will from the janitor who mops the floors up to the highest political appointee in the department, whatever department you're talking about. I would also require that all employees submit the their resignations at the change of administrations. Um, and I would, if I were president, go through, I would accept them all and make them all reapply for their jobs. Uh, there's no, there's no need to have a permanent bureaucracy in DC. Another way you could go about doing it is, and I've said it numerous times, is to move the agencies out of DC, spread them around the country. 
this isn't just a good idea because you get cross-pollination of ideas. You'd also get a whole bunch of stuck-up D.C. people saying, I'm not leaving, as we saw with the USDA economists and scientists who refused to move to that icky Kansas City in the Midwest because it's a dirty, dirty place. And the, you know, the liberal elites couldn't, wouldn't be caught dead in Kansas City. Oh, my God, it's, you know, just a city of probably a million people, and it's a major metro area, but it's not on the coast, so screw them. So moving the agencies out would also be good. Um, and it's also an economic driver. If you move the agencies to more run-down parts of the country, for example, where I live in upstate New York, um, you know, relocate the Department of Transportation to Buffalo, create a whole, it would create a whole ton of jobs, and you'd get a whole different bunch of people in those jobs. You'd get different views. So I think it's a combination of getting rid of the civil service rules, moving the agencies out of D.C., and banning all public sector unions. Well, that does it for our amusing little kickoff for Season 3 of Radio Gormagon. Tune in to our upcoming episodes that will be sure to inform. Yes, we actually talk about some real things in real ways. Entertain, and, well, maybe confuse a bit. That's it for now. Come back and check us later. The goddamn IT guys.